Hey friends, how you doing? Pastor Josh here from Grace Calvary Chapel in St. Joseph, Missouri, and welcome to another edition of You Asked uh, on this podcast. Today we have a special guest. I'm really excited that my friend uh, Seth Gruber is joining us. Seth is an unrelenting, unwavering voice that speaks out for the most vulnerable, the most uh, uh, voiceless and defenseless uh, people group in our population. And of course, that's the unborn. As I don't know when you're going to be watching or listening to this, but as we approach Sanctity of Life Sunday, and we were taking this month to really focus in on this battle against abortion and for the sanctity of human life on every level, um, this is going to be a great discussion. Now, it's going to get fiery, okay? Seth is a fiery, passionate man. And he has a lot of encouragement and exhortation for the believer. If we listen carefully, I think we're all going to be challenged to find new ways we can engage this battle and see abortion ended in our nation one step at a time. And God has given us a special opportunity now in this time in this place to be a part of that battle and that journey. And so without further ado, here's my, uh, my interview with my friend Seth Gruber. I hope you guys enjoy it. Well, hey, friends, thank you again for joining. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm super excited to have a special guest here today. Uh, Seth Gruber is a relentless and uh, incredible voice for defending the most vulnerable and defenseless and voiceless population of people in our society. And that, of course, is the unborn. And as we come up on Sanctity of Life um, Sunday and, and, and remember this month, the, the precious value of human life, uh, I'm so excited to have Seth Gruber with us. Seth, thank you so much for being here, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, brother. It's, uh, it's fun to, to do these things with you. We had a lot of fun uh, last summer uh, at, uh, at Grace with, with preaching and, and doing that event with Melissa Odin and you. Uh, that was really fun and, and did really well, actually, on my podcast, um, resharing that that event we did. So awesome. uh, you're the man, dude. You're a friend. You're a brother. Um, and, and you're one of the few who um, has the moral clarity that actually translates to action. So stoked for what you're building there uh, in Missouri and uh, and praying that your, your state remains a pro-life as a sort of uh, just a light on a hill. Um, for, for the rest of the country and certainly for the church. Yeah, man, I, I appreciate that so much. And we love you guys. Um, you really blessed our church. People still talk about uh, that, that time that you were out. And uh, I know you, you, you awoke a lot of people to realities that they uh, had not been thinking about. And, and, and sadly, uh, it's, it's kind of the narrative of the church today where there's there's genocide happening right in front of our eyes, and we've become so dull and accustomed to it that, um, and and sadly, even uh, even speaking in some circles and from some pulpits, uh, in in a way that that minimizes what's actually going on right right under our our noses. We're gonna have to be accountable for that, no That's doubt. That's right. That's right. I appreciate yep. everything you do, and I have to say. Um, the Christmas card this year was was on point. That was epic. I, I don't know where you guys got those pictures, but you have a beautiful family, and uh, that was good stuff, man. Well, if I recall, we have the same photographer. Uh, at least that was true last year. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they do. They do an amazing job. Um, yeah. 
Well, I want to jump right in here real quick for those who might not be familiar with your ministry and what you're doing. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you're working on, your podcast, uh, how people can find out more information about your, your ministry and what's going on. Yeah, so I've been on staff with a group called Life Training Institute uh, for, for several years, fresh out of college, took a break in sales to make more money for the family and then returned to full-time pro-life speaking with those new learned uh, acquired sales skills and uh, was able to build a team like I had not been able to before in order to make sure that I could do this full-time, which I believe is what God has called me to. And so things really took off in 2020 in particular, the end of 2020. 2019 was just pure grunt work to get into Protestant Catholic high schools, Josh. And then 2020 spring was going bonkers. And then the country shut down. And then I met you. I spoke at Comeback California, then Calvary Chapel, Juno Hills. And then my schedule went absolutely insane. Thanks to Pastor Jack Hibbs and then Rob McCoy. And now we moved our family up to Godspeed Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks, January 2021. So end of this month will be a year since we moved up here, which seems crazy already. Um, in 2021, I did 80 events, the most I'd ever done. I spoke in more churches in an 11 month period at one point, Josh than I had in all 11 years wow. uh, of, of churches, not, not events total, more churches in, a, in an 11 month period than the amount of churches I had spoken in over 11 year period wow. um, since my first talk at a church, which I think I was 19 um, or it went a youth group or, you know, it was a church event. It probably mm -hmm. wasn't the pulpit though. So that's bonkers, right? So, yeah. I mean, Aslan is on the move as they say, and uh, and I think that God is stirring the, the hearts of, of pastors and leaders um, to action, maybe not to the extent that it needs to happen to actually end abortion and to save the country, but more so than I've ever seen before. And so that's what I've been focused on recently to answer your question has been the church, more conferences, pregnancy center banquets. I still always tell people, hey, I'm here for youth groups. I'm here for uh, faith-based high schools. Uh, but if you want to get into faith-based high schools and youth groups as a pro-life speaker, Josh, uh, yeah, you got to go build that relationship yourself and plead with them. You will not get an invitation except wow. at Calvary Christian schools that meets at Calvary Chapel Downey, because that's an incredible school. They invite me back every year. Otherwise I have to try and go convince them why you should have a pro-life speaker in chapel. It's pathetic. <laughs> so, um, so that's what I've been focused on recently. The podcast is just over two years old now, or wait, wow. Uh, July 2019. So, so two and a half years old. And uh, we get probably 15,000 downloads a month now, wow. which is, is pretty awesome. Uh, we do two episodes, a, two episodes a week. So for a narrowly focused show, that's pretty good. Um, and if, yeah, if you listen to it, you'll be a pro-life ninja in a matter of weeks or months. Uh, and if you go back and through the archive, uh, you'll really be untouchable as, as a defender of the unborn. And so that, that's been a blessing. It's forced me to refine my speaking skills and knowledge, of course, as well. Because just like, you know, as a pastor, when you preach, oh, yeah. you better prep. Uh, <laughs> it's the same thing. Um, but it's also built this network, right, and community of people. I get messages fairly frequently now, Josh, people saying, hey, Seth, I'm involved in sidewalk counseling now because of your podcast um, or my daughter volunteers at a pregnancy center now because of your podcast or because we heard you at this church. Um, and so that's what it's all about, equipping, educating, yeah. engaging, and getting people on the battlefield. So anyways, I, I could go on and on and on, but uh, awesome. you know, this is the turning point that we're in. Um, and so I've just been, you know, going as hard as I can. Yeah. 
And, and it certainly seems to me that God has um, placed you at a certain point in a certain time, because uh, while, while we agree and recognize that abortion has throughout the years in our country uh, uh, taken different levels of, of visibility in the national conversation, I think we're at a, a very critical point um, of, of, of maybe you might want to call it a tipping point in regards to the, the moral fabric of our nation, which way, which direction, what are we going to do on this? And yet we are seeing a clear divide, I think, um, that's becoming ever more clear every single day um, yeah. on the sides of good and evil. As a Christian, you can almost cut the spiritual tension in warfare with a knife. I mean, it's yeah. so, it's so um, uh, prevalent. But I'm, as I'm scrolling even through headlines, right, we're seeing some, some major things uh, coming through on the national scene. Um, we've, got some, the, we've got the Supreme Court uh, which we're hoping is conservative leaning um, yeah. on on uh, on these issues with Mississippi and and Texas, and we're seeing, in my mind, these conservative states. Right, Florida just introduced uh, this bill to ban abortion after 15 weeks. Uh, Christy Nome from South Dakota, the governor there, she's saying it's going to come right. to six weeks here, um, uh, Mississippi, Texas, and then on the other side, you have states like New Jersey that. Uh, just proposed their Freedom of Reproductive Choice Act uh, that's going to be securing the, you know, the reproductive freedoms of, of women there, regardless of federal law. And you've got uh, California, right. which just proposed a, a huge budgetary amount of money to repay student loan debt to medical practice uh, practitioners who are going to stay committed yeah. to providing abortion services. Yeah, that's right. And, and a lot more than that, a lot more than that. But yeah, that's part of it here. That's part of it. Yeah. But uh, the, the point being is, and I want you to speak to this. I think it's safe to say now, let's say even you can make an argument, which I don't think you could at some point that that Christians could vote for a Democrat. <laughs> uh, it's becoming clearer and clearer what what where where these two parties stand in regards to their their life and yeah. what it means for the christian when it comes to our right. responsibility of of what are we going to do not only from we'll talk about what we can do from our standpoint as being a witness for christ and all those things yeah. but right i mean what where's this divide where's where are we headed with this yeah it's it, it make it really makes me sick to my stomach josh i mean and we were talking before we recorded about people like ed stetzer you know, and I could give you the names of some others as well, um, who have done great damage to the church, um, Josh, by using their platform influence and, and alleged, alleged theological clarity to quite literally, Josh, um, give permission to Christians to vote for the Democrat Party, to vote for the very party who is instituting, protecting, and, and profiting off of the genocide in the first place yeah i mean uh hey guys listeners if you ever if you ever want to know uh how right i am on this go look at how much planned parenthood gives towards the campaigns of democrats that run every election cycle i mean come on like how this is so obvious that anyone who who doesn't uh understand what's going on now uh is either evil stupid or has their head so far in the sand uh, that the sand is coming out of their 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 uh, ears now. I mean, this is just ridiculous. And you got people like Eugene Cho, who's this pro-choice pastor, um, who says he's pro-life, but he says abortion should remain legal because of the social consequences of making it illegal. 
And, uh, and you have people like Tim Keller who say you have liberty of conscience and quote, liberty of conscience to vote however you want. In other words, God doesn't really care about your vote. Um, and I could go on and on and on. Uh, they are giving permission to Christians to vote for these people. So no, there's no, there's no political, philosophical, or theological justification for a Christian to vote for that party anymore. And those who try to come up with one, Josh, here's the question for them. Would you say the same thing about slavery in 1850? Full stop. No, 1859, right leading up to the voting time about whether we go with Abraham Lincoln or Stephen Douglas. And of course, they all say no, yeah. right? Oh, but come on, Eugene Cho. Come on, Tim Keller. I mean, come on. You know, there's a lot of social consequences that will harm the slave owners who have become economically dependent on this institution. Oh, sounds like the same thing when they say there will be a lot of social consequences for women and families who become dependent on abortion who might try to get illegal abortions anyway. So maybe it's better, Josh, to just keep it legal while discouraging people to do it. What an asinine thing to say. And if they said that on slavery, Josh, we would treat them as heretics, wouldn't we? If there was a pastor today, imagine oh, yeah. if Tim Keller said that. It, hey, Hey, you can vote for Stephen Douglas. Yeah. Okay, it's okay because the Democrat Party has lots of other good life issues that they're good on, Josh, like universal health care and soup kitchens and entitlement programs and social safety nets. And so those are life issues too, Josh. And so while they fail on the genocide issue, like the babies, they fail on that one. Uh, they're better than the GOP on these other tangentially related to life issues. Yeah. If Tim were to say that, Josh, the amount of backlash he would get, I mean, he would get thrown out of his church mm -hmm. and his, his social capital like that. Yeah. But if you say it on abortion, it's somehow socially acceptable. It's not viewed as equally socially abhorrent as if, as if you said the same statement yeah. about slavery. So here's the point I want to make as I sort of circle back to your question, because I think it deserved a larger treatment than maybe you were looking for. So apologies. Um, is this is the power of normalization right? This is the power of culture, is that the slaughter of the unborn and the genocide of baby image bearers, Josh, has been so normalized yeah. in, in, in the society that, that Christian leaders and theologians and professors and pastors who, who claim to put themselves under the word of God, right, who claim to, to believe that the Bible is the inerrant and fallible uh, word of God, are, are actually being more influenced liturgically by the secular streams of secular yep. liberalism than they are by the living waters of their faith. Now, they, they, they will claim otherwise, yeah. uh, but your actions tell a different narrative, don't they? And so this is also what we call the abortion distortion, which is a term that Joseph Della Pena coined in his, I haven't even gotten through, it's like this big, his big fat book on the history of abortion throughout the world. Wow. <laughs> so he coins this term abortion distortion. Here's what he means, Josh, that when that word is said, abortion, poof, all moral reasoning goes out the freaking window. And, and any type of moral clarity that would be brought to bear on any other moral topic is immediately distorted by that topic of abortion. And that goes right back to, again to the power normalization that we've been more we've been more influenced and discipled into how we should think about abortion by the by secular liberalism than we have by our faith. Yeah. And so, and and so because of that, the 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 difference in response to abortion as opposed to slavery by these alleged leaders in the church doesn't even cause others to second guess their authority. 
um, because they also just don't really, they don't really believe in the deepest recesses of their soul, Josh, that the pre-born is identical in dignity, identical mm -hmm. in value, identical in worth, but that, that in terms of dignity and rights, are, they are indistinguishable from the infant, from the infants that you and I've held when our wives gave birth, to the teenager, to the adult, and to grandma and grandpa. They don't actually believe that, or, or else they wouldn't be peddling this padlum and this heresy that you can somehow justify voting for Democrats who murder the pre-born. Um, and yet some people say, well, you know, listen, I, I like the other policies of Democrats, Josh, but I am pro-life. And there is a group called Democrats for Life. There's a whole 501c3 nonprofit called Democrats for Life. Um, listen, I, I guess I'm grateful that there are pro-life people in the Democrat party. I just don't know how you justify continuing yeah. to vote for those people. And here's why, and I'll put the cap on it. Sorry, Josh. Uh, here's why. Um, if you, as a pro-life Christian, say, yes, but Seth, I, I, I believe it, that there's systemic racism. I don't think the GOP is dealing with it. Again, if you really believe that, you wouldn't vote for the Democrat Party because you want to talk about systemic racism, yep. abortion, right? Planned Parenthood murders more unarmed Black lives every two weeks than the KKK lynched in a century. So, I mean, it still goes right back to that abortion distortion, but whatever. They mean systemic racism outside the womb. And so they're like, the GOP doesn't deal with a good Seth, but the, the Democrats do. So listen, I am pro-life, don't worry. Um, but I, I, I just, I like the more comprehensive ethic of life, the seamless garment they claim that the Democrats have. So that's why, even though, don't, don't question my pro-life credentials, Seth, I'm super pro-life, but I got to vote for the Democrat. And that's why you had the pro-life evangelicals for Biden group, which Ed Stetzer was like, you know, trumpeting all, all, all that back in a year or two ago. Um, but here's the problem. Uh, what you've done, is, is you have just added another seat to that party a, uh, and therefore taken away a seat from the GOP, which is an imperfect party that I am not a big fan of, Josh. I mean, gosh, finding GOP people who will fight oh, yeah. uh, is, 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 is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. It's pathetic. So I, I, we could do a whole episode on the problems with the GOP. I'm not saying it's a perfect party. I'm saying it's the only other option. Yeah. And so when you, can, when you have to choose between empowering, enabling, and growing the party that's committed to a genocide, versus the one that like kind of restricts it and kind of saves lives sometimes, um, then you go with that option yeah. while working culturally within the church, which is the solution that can hold government to account to get godly men and women elected who will actually fight and contend for life and righteousness. That's the long-term game, right? Okay. Um, so it's actually better to vote for a pro-choice Republican than a pro-life Democrat. It's true. It's true because, because, because the pro-choice Republican is not going to influence his, the GOP towards the pro-choice position, meaning he's not going to actually get any votes from his party for pro-choice legislation. Sure. But the pro-life Democrat, when we've seen pro-life Democrats get elected in the House of Representatives, you know what ends up happening, Josh? They, all, they often end up caving to oh, the yeah. pressures of their party yep. and, and confirming the pro-choice Speaker of House anyways, such yeah. as? Nancy Pelosi, one of the most pro-abortion speakers of House, if not the most in American history. So, so it, that's the point with, with me making that somewhat controversial statement is to is to make my bolster my larger point, which is that is how evil the Democrat Party is. It's so evil that it's better to vote for a pro-choice Republican in the House of Representatives than a pro-life Democrat because mm -hmm. that that party is not going to be reformed. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. No, that's great stuff. And um, something that, that really, from, from a pastoral perspective, looking at it, this issue theologically, because I've, I've asked the question, it's been a mystery to me, to look at people who name the name of Christ, 
and they will trumpet issues like uh, we've got to end the death penalty, you know, which is which is more of a biblically arguable position <laughs> than, than abortion is. Uh, uh, obviously, uh, they'll 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 talk about things like vaccines or the environment as though they're so scientifically black and white. And then right. when it comes to abortion, all of a sudden, well, that's a very complex issue. There's there's so many complexities that we have to consider. And I think it's all rooted back down to the reality that Satan hates uh, Satan hates not only life, but Satan desires to see innocent life snuffed out. We've seen this from the beginning. He, he's the one yep. who brought death into the world. Uh, he, he, he's the one through a government that ordered the killing of babies when Moses was alive. He's the one through a government who ordered the killing of babies when Jesus was uh, an infant. Right. And he's still, he's still at work at this today. But there's a That's deception right. in the church to minimize this issue. And I think that the, uh, the liberal leftist parties, the, the Democrats, have done an effective job at deceiving the church into thinking that their policies are actually more compassionate they're actually more uh, right. loving towards your neighbor, you know, all these things. But if you look at it in reality, there's no proof of that in the pudding. <laughs> there's That's no right. evidence right. of that in the actual policy and how, yeah. they, and how they work out in society. It's a, it's a very powerful and simple point, Joshua. You make a very powerful and simple point. And that is simply the observation that the promises of secular progressivism actually are never fulfilled. And, and it's all done under the sort of the mantle of what we call false compassion. In fact, almost every policy prescription and recommendation pushed by the left today, Josh, uh, is, is built on false compassion. It promises a utopian pipe dream and it never delivers. Not only does it not fail to deliver, right, which would just sort of be a sin of omission, it's a sin of commission. It actually does damage to the very yeah. people or population that it's claiming to protect and serve. Uh, and nowhere is that more evident today than the issue of abortion. But no, you're totally right. It's powerfully put. Yeah. And um, as we, as I think about James, he says, you know, that that famous verse that, that faith without works is dead. And when I think of that now, um, we know we know what the issues are, and to to not be actively involved on some level, even on the even on the simplest level of of what is our right and responsibility to do to do as as Christians right. in America, in in how we vote and get involved. Um, yep. it, it would seem uh, uh, quite the cop out to to neglect that at this point in time, especially. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, we we know we know Proverbs twenty four. It's the call. Um, you've preached on it. You've spoken about it to deliver those who are drawn towards death, and to hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. And then, of course, he 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 has that that piercing statement that if you say, "Surely we did not know this." Does yeah. not he who weighs the heart consider it? And will he not, who keep your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? So there's no excuse. Right. Um, speak for a yeah. moment to to the Christian that says, uh, you know, I, I am pro-life, but I, I just don't want to stir the waters. I just don't want to get out there and make my voice heard. Um, let it be what it is. Uh, God will take care of it. What, what, where does that attitude stem from? And what would you <laughs> exhort to that person? Oh man, gosh, there's so much, so so much, so many places we could go with that, brother. So I I called a friend um, right before the election. I was it was actually the day I was preaching at Godspeak or uh, doing a live stream or something, and I called him right before the election, and um, uh, and I was trying to convince him to vote for Trump, and and he said, uh, "God is sovereign, Josh." 
to your point. Uh, God is sovereign. And so uh, Bible explains that God raises up kings and he brings them down, right? I'm paraphrasing, but you know what verse I'm talking about. Um, and so it doesn't happen apart from the sovereignty of God. And so he claimed, Josh, that his voting would have no impact on what would end up happening because God has a plan either way and his will will be accomplished. So here's what I asked him. Here's what, here's what you could ask a pro-life Christian who says what you just said. He says, I'm pro-life, but I don't want to serve the water. It'll be what it will be. Um, here's what I'd ask. Um, do you apply the same thing to the commandment of evangelism? Mm. Because you know what? God is sovereign, Josh. Yeah. And he will save whom he will save. Yeah. I'm, we, don't, we won't dive into Arminianism versus Calvinism right now. But, um, but the, the Bible, you can, the, the thing about that debate is you can defend both with Bible verses, right? Which is why I'm not dogmatic about uh, Calvinism or Arminianism. I'm somewhere in between. It's because I could defend both with Bible verses. So sure. in some strange way, we choose God. Uh, right, that God desires that all would come to repentance, that none would perish, yeah. um, but also that He predestined those whom He would save. Right, so yeah. like, um, so hey, hey, Christian, hey, God's gonna save who He's gonna save, man. You know, He already knows, and God's sovereign, which means He doesn't need you. Yeah, He doesn't need yeah. you to accomplish what He's gonna accomplish. So just go chill in your armchair and read Charles Spurgeon and Narnia <laughs> over and over again, and just have a fun time thinking about deep theological truths while doing nothing to share them with those who are perishing, right? God's sovereign, bro. And I, I told this to my buddy, Josh, and he said, well, no. And he said, no, because, because with that, we've been commanded. We've been commanded to preach the gospel. And, and I said, yes, and you've, almost, you've also been commanded to love your neighbor. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the unborn neighbor is the only neighbor that it's legal to kill. Yeah. <laughs> and so he who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. So I told my brother, I said, brother, you know, you want to know the best way to speak up? And this was a big part of my sermon at Jack's at Chino Hills. I said, what's the best way to speak up for a class of neighbors um, uh, whose slaughter has been legalized by their government? What would be the most important way to speak up for that neighbor, to love that neighbor? Um, and, and I said, well, there are many ways you could do that, right? Uh, but hey, Josh, if it was legal to, to lynch me, uh, if it was legal to lynch uh uh, white cisgender Christian males over six foot two. Um, listen, I, while I would appreciate you raising funds uh, to sort of maybe develop underground railroads to help us uh, get to safe, uh, safe houses, and while I'd appreciate you raising funds for my family in case I was lynched, you know what I would really like you to do? Um, make it illegal to lynch me. Pass laws that actually protect me. Um, wouldn't that be the most important way to, to love your neighbor, especially in a constitutional republic where you actually have the political power to do so? Uh, and so it was funny. My, my buddy up was, uh, was arguing from God's sovereignty to justify his political abdication, um, which is really just stewardship, right? Um, but he wouldn't, uh, he wouldn't argue from God's sovereignty to justify yeah. his great commission application or his evangelism That's application. Right. And so it reminds me of this, this line from Dietrich Bonhoeffer in, in his book, Ethics. Um, he, he says that political action means taking on responsibility. Mm -hmm. This cannot happen without power. Power is to serve responsibility. 
Yeah. What a beautiful line. Yeah. Like we talk about like, there's a Christian theocracy coming, Josh. <laughs> the, the, the Christians are going to create a state religion again, and they're going to start doing crusades and shooting people. <laughs> and, and like freaking Ed Spencer and these, these uh, woke people have been sharing this thing about how the, 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 the threat of Christian nationalism is coming, Josh. It's like, okay, the only state religion today is secular progressivism. That's yep. the only state religion and theocracy today. Um, so we have this like fear of power, like in, in, in evangelical circles, there's this like fear and you hear it too. You hear it in these more left-leaning evangelical circles of like, it's bad to try to get political power as Christians, that that's somehow like creating an idol out of politics. And so Christians should just abdicate and pray all day and let the secular government ruin the country and ruin the posterity of America. No, power, just like money is not a good or bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's yeah. whether you allow it to corrupt you and be used for evil means. Power in righteous hands is a beautiful thing, a beautiful right. thing, especially for Christians who who treat it as stewardship. Bonhoeffer, power is to serve, responsibility. Yeah. Um, and so I got off on a tangent there. Um, well, you speak, but, uh, you know, you speak of um, that's a. I think that's a good a good hopping point here because I'm I'm just finishing up Bonhoeffer by Metaxas right now. And Wonderful. to hear to hear Bonhoeffer state so plainly, um, it is the church's responsibility to not only influence but hold accountable the actions of the governing authorities over them. You know, which of course where, is where the, the German church tremendously failed uh, during Hitler's uh, reign of tyranny and and um, and death. Uh, That's right. But even now, I, I remember once I was I, I preached a message at church and I, I, I put the two platforms of the two parties on the screen and I just pointed out right. simply what they said. And, and someone just got so angry with me about that. And I said, well, listen, if the if the Republican Party had a had a line in their national platform that said, we want to reserve and protect the rights of police officers to kill unarmed black people, would you have any issue with me? making the statement that, can you believe that this says this and how can we as a church support this? And they had no answer. It's because exactly. they're like, you always bring up, and I want you to talk just briefly about it. Um, we, we, have, we have lost sight of the personhood and the individuality and the image of God in the unseen human beings. That's right, that's right. That's right. Hadley Arcus, um, who's a natural law, one of the most phenomenal natural law thinkers in america today josh he's uh, actually we should pray for his salvation he um uh, he's either um a theist or a jew i don't believe he's a jew he's definitely a theist mm -hmm. obviously but he's i don't believe he's born again but he he heads up the james wilson institute for natural law or natural rights and uh guys a behemoth i mean like if you if you ever if you ever you and your listeners ever want to dive into the life of the mind, start reading Hadley Arcus. Um, but he wrote a book called Natural Rights and the Right to Choose. And um, he goes through his experiences um, working with legislators to craft legislation um, to ban <clears throat> um, third trimester abortions, to ban partial birth abortions, um, which Bill Clinton vetoed, the Partial Birth Abortion Ban Act. Um, and to craft laws to protect babies who survive botched abortions. Um, and, but he was doing this decades ago, right? It's only recently with um, Ben Sass in Nebraska in 2019 did the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act come back again. 
And then he uses his experiences um, to, to dive into the worldview behind choice mm. um, and make it sort of a natural law argument for the pro-life position. But he has this line in there that speaks to what you were just saying that, that's really powerful. And he starts explaining how many of the allegedly pro-life Republicans were abandoning him and his colleagues in their attempt and, and uh, unification in working towards passing pro-life legislation. And, and then he says this, he says, we could not begin, we, we began to wonder if the issue did not come down to this, that many of our friends in their heart of hearts were not possessed of a lively sense that there were real human beings getting killed in these surgeries. Yeah. Um, powerfully put, that they were not possessed in their heart of hearts of a lively sense that there were real human beings getting killed in these surgeries. Um, so we say we're pro-life. Tim Keller says he's pro-life. Ed Stetzer says he's pro-life. Um, Andy Stanley says he's pro-life. Rick Warren says he's pro-life, Josh. But these pastors have either done nothing in their entire careers to do anything meaningful to protect the preborn, or they, they've given theological permission for people to vote for the people lynching their neighbors. Um, and so I asked that same question. I, I wonder in my heart of hearts whether you're possessed of that lively sense. Um, we need to return to a positioning of humility before the cross and before the scriptures um, as our ultimate authority. And if we have that humility and we can avoid what uh, my friend, Dr. Everett Piper, former president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University uh, said recently on the show, the pathology of the intellect. If we can avoid the pathology of the intellect, that sort of elitism that happens when you get smarter and you have more credentials and you're in more of a position of authority and return to that humility, I think we will grasp once again, the things that we used to know those self-evident truths that the forefathers of the church and of the country took to be self-evident. But we have been indoctrinated and we have been sipping from the streams of secular liberalism mm. and we've syncretized it with our faith and we've come away with what Bonhoeffer called a cheap grace. But we don't think it is. We think it's the whole pure and unadulterated gospel but it's been tainted. Someone's poisoned the water hole, Josh. And we have developed immunity against that poison. So we can still function within the appearance of orthodoxy, but it's anything but. And so what happens, Josh, the longer you say you're pro-life and the longer that you confess the right beliefs, but don't put feet to your faith, and don't resist the evils that you see and which you claim to believe are evil. What happens, Josh? You decay yourself. That's right. You begin to decay. And in so doing, all of society decays as well. Yep. This is the line, Josh, that, that um, is in C.S. Lewis's book, When Screw Tape is writing to his nephew Wormwood on how to infiltrate the church, how to pull people away from the kingdom of God and how to even influence the Christians, yeah. right? Yeah. And Screwtape, Josh, tells Wormwood, 
here's what he says. He says, as the humans have said, active habits are um, active habits are uh, um, in encouraged by uh, repetition, but habits are weakened. The longer that he he um, um, the longer that he feels, um, but does not act, the less he will be able ever to act, and in the long run, the less he will be able to feel. What, what's Screwtape saying there? He's saying, hey, Wormwood, hey, demon, hey, demon, the longer you can get Christians to feel all of the right things, but, but they don't act on it, they don't do anything about it, the, the less he will be able ever to act. Mm -hmm. And in the long run, the less he will be able to feel at all. Yeah. Meaning, and here's, here's, here's a translation for that, okay? Just as physical atrophy occurs through not using your muscles, moral atrophy, spiritual atrophy mm -hmm. occurs through not using your voice, through not using your life as, as, as stewardship for what God has given you. The longer that you, to quote Eberhard Bethke, Bonhoeffer's best friend, confess anti-Nazi beliefs, but you don't resist the genocide that you see, you're just, you're, you're just, um, you're actually giving a gift to the spirit of the age. You're actually giving a gift to the practitioners of genocide because the, because secular progressives and the abortion industry and the Democrat party love nothing more, Josh, than Christians who confess pro-life beliefs but do nothing to resist the evil that they see. Yeah. And so to your question, what about the pro-lifer who says I'm pro-life, but God's in control. Hey, it, it will be what it will be, brother. Uh, let's just pray for the country type of abdication. The problem with that is that you will actually begin to decay as well. Yeah. And, and you won't recognize yourself. Um, and, 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 you, and if you do, you will be shocked at the levels of evil that you have made peace with. Um, and, and here's the final problem with that on with this, Josh, the problem with making peace with evil is that you're only prolonging your own and inevitable destruction because those who murder the preborn, Josh, and defend it as reproductive health care will not hesitate to bring that tyranny home to roost on you as well. Sure. Sure. Uh, and we're, and, and if anything, that that's what the last two years have shown. In abandoning the right to life of the preborn for 49 years, we're watching the very quick and scary escalation of the deterioration of liberty mm -hmm. uh, and our other rights that flow from the right to life. Because yeah. uh, if you don't get the right to life right, you're not going to get any other rights right. And, and this is what Thomas Paine says in, in his book, Common Sense, where he argued for American independence. Uh, and, and he said, he said, there are persons who see not the full extent of the evil which threatens them. Mm. Um, um, they solace themselves, Josh, with hopes that the enemy, if he succeeds, will be merciful. <laughs> Meaning like, we think that like, oh, well, the tyranny of the unborn will never translate to tyranny on the born. Oh, yeah. you, you know what I mean? Like yeah. we, cut, we solace ourselves with thinking like, that they'll stop short of, of my, me and my family. They, they certainly won't come for me. And then here's what Thomas Paine says. He says, it is the madness of folly to expect mercy from those who have refused to do justice. Um, and then Bonhoeffer fin finishes saying, the ultimate test for a moral society 
is the kind of world that it leads, leaves to its children. And so the rights and liberties that you abandon today, Christian, will be the rights and liberties your grandchildren never knew existed. Uh, so how's that for an answer? If you just confess pro-life beliefs, Christians, and you pray for the country and you pray for overturning abortion, but you do nothing to end this genocide, don't worry, that's all that'll happen. Your whole soul will rot until you don't recognize yourself and your children will be living in Bernie Sanders gulag re-education camps. That's all. <laughs> we have we have such a tendency, and, and uh, if I'm honest and, and humble about it, I mean, I, I see it in my own life in a lot of different areas. I think um, Hebrews really makes it clear to us to beware brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief that departs from the living God. And then he says, and exhort one another daily while it is called the day, lest any of your hearts become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And I think that just wraps mm -hmm. up the, that uh, everything you've, 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 you've spoken about from, from that biblical perspective is there's a deceiver out there. He's working to blind and deceive. He's, he's very successful at it in those who don't know Christ. And it's even possible for those who claim to know Christ, if they're not guarding the softness of their hearts to the conviction of the Holy Spirit, to the word of God and to the commands of the Lord, that our hearts become hardened and uh, calloused as well to the things that we should care about, right. um, which, we, right. which we see happening. But tell me, are you encouraged right now? I mean, yes, it's an evil day. Yes, uh, tyranny seems to be on the uprise. Uh, freedoms and rights seem to be on the downfall. But we have some potential here in our society. Where, where do you see just I know it's your opinion, but where do you see these uh, Supreme Court um, decisions going? Where do you see states within our within our our union here? I mean, where is right. this all headed? Are you encouraged by any of the signs that you're seeing either in the church, in the society in regards to this issue? Right. So the Supreme Court will have to issue a decision um, no later than June and potentially before about its decision um, uh, to whether it's going to overturn Roe versus Wade or not. Um, and that's the, the Mississippi 15-week um, uh, uh, abortion ban, which is before the stupid subjective term called viability. Um, yeah. And so Roe versus Wade, Doe versus Bolton, both in 73, and then Planned Parenthood v. Casey in 1991, uh, made it clear that, yeah, that states could not pass a bans um, on abortion um, before viability. Of course, viability changes every time a scientist comes up with a new way to save preemie, prematurely born babies at earlier and earlier stages, because viability just means the ability to survive outside the womb. So that's a very stupid uh, standard and litmus test. Um, but because it violates Roe, um, it's technically, according to the progressives, unconstitutional. So if the Supreme Court um, rules to allow the Mississippi Gestational Age Act um, to stand in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health uh, Organization Supreme Court case, that would be an overturning of Roe versus Wade, which means that um, that would ultimately go back to the states. Mm -hmm. So you don't have an abortion ban at that point. You just have the ability for states to determine their abortion legislation, which of course is not anything resembling the end of justice, right? Which to quote, uh, was it uh, James Wilson or one of the founders is that the end of justice is the purpose of government. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why we have government. Um, and, and so allowing some states to lynch babies while others 
don't um, is just as unjust as allowing some states to enslave blacks and others not to. Yeah. So it, if, if Roe versus Wade gets overturned in June, Josh, that's actually just really the beginning, the beginning of our fight, actually, um, which some pro-lifers uh, actually need to realize, Christians need to realize, they would celebrate that as like this a great victory. Oh, yes, it would be a great victory. But in many, in many cases, that, that would actually signal the beginning of our efforts, which sounds gnarly because it's been 49 years. Um, am I encouraged? Well, um, see, I, I, I'm more pessimistic than, than many because uh, we had a Republican appointed Supreme Court majority in 73 and in 91. The two massive abortion cases that let the pro-life movement and, and, and therefore unborn children down. The only one I put money on is Clarence Thomas because he has publicly said Roe versus Wade was wrongly decided and should be overturned. Uh, you wanna talk about based, uh, Clarence Thomas is about as based as it gets. Um, yes, I think others will rule with him. I just am not confident enough yet to say how it will break sure. down. Um, obviously best case scenario would be, um, would be seven, three. That would be the, the I'm sorry, uh, uh, it's nine. So that would be, uh, I think our best case scenario would be, um, Six, six three. three. Yeah. Six, three would be our best case scenario. And so that would mean that even John Roberts rules with the conservatives. Uh, he probably won't. Yeah. So the next best case scenario would be five, four. Um, so we'll see. We'll certainly see. Um, but you know what, what does put a smile on my face, Josh, is that more, more leftists are predicting the, the, the fall of Roe versus Wade than conservatives are. <laughs> and that's why in California, Governor Gavin Newsom Lini um, is, has already teamed up with the Future of Abortion Council. Yes, there's a group called the Future of Abortion Council. Wow. And they have provided 45 recommendations, Josh, 45 recommendations to turn California into the number one sanctuary state for abortion. Um, because why? They're predicting Roe v. Wade will fall. They're girding up their secular degenerate loins in order to prepare for battle. Why won't we do for good what the other side will do for evil, huh, Josh? Man, if the church were as committed to life as the organizations who put together this future of abortion council are committed to death, the country would look very different. Mm. Um, and that question continues to haunt me. Why won't we do for good what the other side so passionately does for evil and, and who so consistently does for evil? And so we won't get into exactly all of the California stuff, but their plan is disgusting and evil. But look how hard they're preparing for the fall of Roe. So that certainly puts a smile on my face. If <laughs> Roe versus Wade gets overturned, I want everyone who listens to this, and I'll say this publicly as well, um, to go rip, to go as, as, as biblically justifiably as you can, go rip a, a new one to every single wokey woke evangelical Christian who told you they couldn't vote for Trump because they wanted to protect their witness. Or worse yet, the Ed Stetzers and Tim Kellers who said, oh, you can totally vote for pro-choicers. God doesn't care. Or worse yet, the pro-life evangelicals for Biden who tried to make a Christian political argument for voting for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, go rip those people a new one for the next four years because, hey, we just overturned Roe versus Wade because of the three Supreme Court appointments, because of a degenerate playboy, uh, 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 three times married, twice divorced secular who had more moral clarity on abortion than you did, you pulpits. Um, and, and if it gets overturned, it will be because of President Trump. 
Um, and, and so I don't want to ever hear any political advice um, or commentary from any of those people ever again. Um, so that's what we're praying for. Certainly that's what we're working for. But listen, to quote John Quincy Adams, the hellhound of slavery, um, who was once asked um, uh, if he'd ever turned slavery around, he simply said, duty is ours, results are God's. And so regardless of what happens, our duty remains the same. And if we get the bad news and, and this decision reaffirms the ruling of Roe v. Wade again, uh, 30 years after Planned Parenthood v. Casey, because I was, I'm 30, I was born in 91, that's when we got Casey, and it reaffirms the ruling of, of Roe v. Wade again, um, only one of two things will happen. Either there will be a revival and the church will finally wake up and end its genocide, or we'll continue to worship apathy more than action, um, and we will never overturn abortion because the left is preparing to federalize elections. They're preparing to um, constitutionalize abortion and, and uh, enshrine it um, at, for, uh, to, so that it can, so states can't even pass pro-life legislation. That was one of Kamala Harris's goals. Um, she called it a pre-clearance list. Um, I covered this in podcast at the time. Kamala Harris had a, she wanted to come up with pre-clearance guidelines on abortion. So if a state wanted to pass pro-life laws like Missouri, it'd have to go by Kamala Harris's desk. I mean, completely destroying federalism and, and the oh, voice yeah. of the people. That's what, like, like wake up, yeah. like, that's what they want to do. Yes. So my fear is that if, if we don't overturn uh, Roe in June, Josh, and, and there's no revival and the church still doesn't wake up and we still embrace a truncated, cheap grace, compartmentalized gospel over a comprehensive demand the welfare of the city gospel, um, then, then actually we'll never overturn abortion. That's actually my great fear. So yeah. anyways. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's close on that on, on ramp right there into action. Uh, I think a lot of Christians feel uh, that they don't know where to start when it comes to um, uh, in a Christ-like way uh, to be militant. I mean, it's, if it, it scares them, even that term, not realizing that there is a, there is a, a, a humble, bold, courageous way to be militant for righteousness, um, but where do I get involved? What do I do? And then I also want you want you to kind of close us with a, a little bit of an update on the the big Love Life SoCal conference coming up um, yeah. uh, in a little while here. But uh, tell us a little bit about that and your work with them as well. Yeah, everything's local. Everything's local, and that's become increasingly true in this season. Um, and that's what happened. Charlie, Charlie made this point. Charlie Kirk made this point beautifully at last night at, at God speak with freedom square with Rob McCoy, a beautiful insight he made, um, when tyranny is on the rise and oligarchs are chomping at the bit and they're like a wounded dog because they know that they're either about to obtain massive political power. Or they're about to lose it all because the people are waking up when you reach sort of that break point, um, where the enemies overplayed his hands and they moved too quickly with their, their political projects. So people kind of became aware of like how quickly tyranny is escalating. Um, people begin to live more locally. They become, they become far more committed to their localities and to, to quote again, the Bible, seeking the good of the city, literally in their city, everything becomes local. And so you saw this with the mama bears and papa bears blasting their school boards and these viral clips. I mean, this was like a true organic, almost like tea party type of movement in 2021. Um, and that's why Merrick Garland had to come out and label them domestic terrorists. 
Um, literally, I mean, I'm not joking, guys. Like Merrick Garland labeled those types of parents who were blasting their school board members um, as domestic terrorists. Now, did they ever get violent? No, but they were they were yelling sometimes. Yes, you can yell at elected officials, believe it or not. That's a constitutional right. <laughs> um, and then we, we found out, Josh, that Merrick Garland's son-in-law, yes, his daughter's husband, works at a helped found and works at a company that writes the critical race theory curriculum that they sell to school districts and wow. they have hundreds of school districts as clients as clients wow. oh conflict of interest much that the attorney yeah, general of the little... free freaking world um labels parents who are blasting critical race theory curriculum in their schools domestic terrorists because his son-in-law is making bank and therefore his daughter and grandchildren future and posterity is being protected through the income being generated off of the curriculum that parents are blasting is one of the biggest scandals and uncovered stories from last year um, and so this was this true local movement that was happening in individual localities all across the country. That's when things start to change. And that's what the left fears so much is, is when people begin to passionately contend with commitment um, in their local juris, uh, juris, uh, uh, juris, jurisdictions. Um, and so Charlie made that point beautifully. And I, I think that's what we, we need to remind the church of, because listen, as long as people continue to assert um, authority, power, and responsibility in their localities, then the left can never win. As long as you have godly men and women on school boards, city councils, water districts, like the whole thing yeah. at local localities, at the city and county level, it doesn't even have to be the state level, the city and county level where there's like, no, we're saying no to this and we're doing our own thing. The left can't do anything about that. And that's what, that's what fears that that's what scares them the yeah. most actually. Yeah. Um, and so what does that mean on the pro-life issue? Because again, like sometimes people are like, Seth, you, you talk, too much about politics. You're supposed to be a pro-life speaker. No, shut up, wake up. All of this is related. All of this is related. That's why I talk about politics and I talk about these other worldview issues because what's what's good for the goose is good for the gander, okay? And, and what the left has used for their own uh, political projects and success, we need to do as well for righteousness. Uh, we have a lot to learn from the left actually in terms of political strategy and commitment to mm -hmm. their ideas. Um, and, so, and so what does that mean on the pro-life issue? You need to start contending for life uh, more passionately than ever before, just where you live. Obviously, yes, vote for godly men and women, of course. Like we can do a whole political um, sort of um, marching orders or call to arms as well. I mean, I frankly, I think, Josh, that churches should be launching 501c4s at this point, or is it C5s? I think churches need to be launching C4s right now um, and, and getting people in their church involved to give there as well. Um, as a way to help fund the campaigns of godly men and women in, in their local districts, counties, and states to get elected. Because if we're not doing that, I think we're sowing the seeds of our own destruction. Mm. If we're not like actively, financially, and sacrificially ensuring that godly men and women who will take Bonhoeffer's route of power to serve responsibility, um, we're not getting them elected. We're screwed. Like, like this is this whole thing's gone. Other because we're either going to get radically leftist Marxists or we're going to get a bunch of rhinos who say they're conservative but they don't do anything as Republican leaders to actually defend life and liberty. So that so yes, there's a whole political call to arms. But asserting stewardship over what you've been given just where you live is incredibly powerful mm -hmm. because if everyone does that in their own individual localities, the whole country changes. Yeah. The whole country changes when everyone does that locally. So, so what does that mean? Show up at abortion centers. If you guys go to Grace, to Grace Church, Grace Calvary Chapel, uh, you can get to one of two, one of two, or is it one of three uh, abortion centers in the Kansas City area in less than an hour, mm -hmm. maybe 50 minutes, 55 minutes. 
Uh, oh, that's too far. Yeah, that's whatever. I mean, come on. That's like if they were killing infants, you'd be down there every week. Um, and so what, what, is, what does that look? What Can you imagine if hundreds of Christians were outside of every abortion center in the country every day they were open? Hundreds. Wow. Yeah. Praying, worshiping, yeah. pleading for the life of the baby and encouraging yeah. mom to choose life and then telling her that we're here to support you. We want to champion you as a mom. And whatever you need, we're going to provide uh, it for you from our local church. Um, I mean, talk about the testimony that would that would yeah. uh, give in the country around the whole country. And then what happens? The politics begins to change as well, because you're contending for righteousness at the cultural level. It begins to change the narrative. All mm -hmm. these women start choosing life. And you know what happened? Some abortion centers will go bankrupt and close down because yeah. they're not getting enough unborn children um, yeah. to dismember and, and, and take and profit off of. So. Uh, there's a lot there, but it really is that simple. And so I partner with Love Life as the implementation arm of my ministry. And so when I get a church all fired up, then Love Life comes in and it, and it grabs those people who are ready to go. And so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. They'll train you and equip you into sidewalk counseling, post-abortion healing, orphan foster care, and mentor families for those who choose life. Um, and, and this is what changes the country. Oh, it's almost as if it's that simple. <laughs> Demand the welfare of the city where I have yeah. sent you into exile, for in her welfare, you will find your welfare. And if you tell yourself that you would have been a Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a Sophie Scholl, an Oscar Schindler, a Frederick Douglass, a Harriet Tubman, a William Wilberforce, if you tell yourself that and you think that you would have been, um, but you're not doing anything to end abortion, then guess what? I have hard news for you. You wouldn't have. You wouldn't have been one of those social reformers in those respective time periods um, if you're not doing anything to end abortion today. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's the call to arms, lovelife.org. Uh, and then we're doing a big conference uh, at Calvary Chapel Chino Hills on January 29th, um, right around the corner called Love Life California. We're having Pastor Jack Hibbs, myself, Nick Vojicic, Life Without Limbs, um, we're having Kurt Cameron, Melissa Odin, Anthony Leventino. He's a former abortionist. We're having Monica Klein, a former Planned Parenthood sex educator. Um, and we're, and, uh, we're having um, more speakers as well. Wow. And so you're going to get educated, encouraged, and equipped to engage and given a game plan to take back to your communities to take back life. It, the focus is California because as goes California, so goes the country. So if yeah. you can retake California for life and liberty, you can change the whole country. It really is that simple, actually. Yeah. Like if the church were to wake up at a 30% level or so um, in California and and uh, end abortion, you, you you actually would flip the entire country and change yeah. the entire script. It really is that simple, but we're, we're too addicted to comfort. But if you guys want to tune in live stream, if you want to catch those amazing speakers, awesome. uh, Love Life California, uh, let me make sure it's not .org.com. I always forget. Uh, lovelifecalifornia.org, lovelifecalifornia.org, and you can get uh, virtual tickets if you want to tune in anywhere Fantastic. from around the country as well. So uh, promo code Seth25 for 25% off, Seth25, and you'll get 25% off all ticket sales. Uh, and we'll have a good group on their virtual as well. But if you're in California, Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills, January 29th. Yeah, that's a great game plan. Uh, great marching orders there. I'll add one more thing, not in replacement of, but in addition to um, church, those of you who are watching, uh, do not be ashamed of the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your neighbors need Jesus more than ever. Um, those who are the ones contemplating these acts, you know, the, 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 the more evil a society becomes, the more laws it needs. And uh, in, in Jesus, changing hearts can, can really radically transform people to be warriors for true justice and true righteousness. Uh, and so all these things put together, 
um, makes for a Christian who's on the front lines of the ministry battles and the, the kingdom That's work right. that God wants to do. Um, Seth, man, it's so good to see you again. We're praying for you, brother. Really appreciate you and your ministry and the time you took to encourage and exhort us today. Thanks for being here. Absolutely, brother. Thank you.